I'm Rich Hinman, and this is Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Berklee College of Music's Guitar Department. Today's guest is guitarist pedal steel player Rich Hinman, who has recorded and or toured with Katie Lang, Marin Morris, Emily King, Wolf Peck, St. Vincent, Roseanne Cash, John Ritter, and many others. He has released four records under his own name, including Memorial on Colorfield Records, and plays frequently with Adam Levy in their quartet, Rich Hinman vs. Adam Levy. Rich Hinman is also a guitar professor here at Berklee College of Music. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. As usual, we are joined by our assistant chair, Cheryl Bailey. Morning, Cheryl. Hey, everybody. Got my coffee, nice frothy espresso happening here. Cheryl, we're both old school today. We've got the old school guitar department mug. They look like weighty mugs. Like they really look like substantial when I look at them, at least on the at least on the Zoom. We are a weighty crew. Yeah. We're a heavy crew, man. <laughs> uh, we are joined, as usual, by Ben Cody, our senior coordinator. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. And our special guest today is our newest professor in the guitar department, assistant professor Rich Hinman. Hey, Rich. Hey, guys. How are you? Um, so, Rich, um, everybody starts by talking about how the coffee works in their lives. And I know that at least you used to be a coffee drinker. So how do you oh. take your coffee and uh, how does that all work? Oh, I'm... I'm like an absolutely insufferable snob. Um, it's it's really like it's really it's really all. It's become kind of like a. It, it's become almost a hindrance, like to my life. Like it's like made things harder. I have like a pour over setup, but it's like with a grinder and a scale, so the coffee is being weighed against the um, the water, um, and. I bring it on tour now when I go on tour, like as much of it as I can bring. So it's, um, so it takes up all the space in my bag and it's really yeah. heavy. Rich, I'm curious, have yeah. you tried the AeroPress on the road or? I have, I, I, that mechanism like always kind of feels weird to me. They, I've, I've had AeroPress that other people make that's really good, but I, I like never got used to it. And I like the pour over. But admittedly, it's like a pretty bulky system. Um, so, yeah, now it's become this thing where it's like, I don't, I'm not like, oh, let's roll with it. I'll have this other coffee. Like, that's fine. Like, it's like not acceptable. It's like those people who get really into wine and then they just go to like a normal restaurant and someone and they just like refuse to drink anything. Like, I'm like that with coffee, which is horrible. Like, I should have just stuck with like the Trader Joe's coffee I was drinking 15 years ago and I'd be fine. I'd just be like chill about everything. So anyway, it's a mistake, a road that I probably shouldn't have gone down. But that's one more question. Yeah, what yeah. What about do you got? your beans? Then who? What is your roast and profile and all of that? We want. Well, to I subs. I'm a subscriber to uh, Verve Coffee, which is in Santa Cruz, California, um, and they're a good roaster. And partly, it's just that they like it's a big enough roaster that they can kind of like send you stuff pretty quick. Like the operation is pretty smooth. And then, um, I, and it's, uh, and it's kind of a, it kind of varies. They do, you know, they have Latin American stuff and African stuff basically. Um, 
and it's all pretty light roasted. And I also occasionally get coffee. I live on the North Shore. I will sometimes buy beans from a shop near me in Beverly, Massachusetts called a Kid Dream. That's very, very good. I mean, they actually don't roast their own beans. They have like beans from various roasters, but it's like a very high-end shop and all their stuff is really good. Now, if you're in Beverly, I'm yeah. not promoting this guy, but Backbeat Brewery, which there's also live jazz there, he he roasts his own beans. And I know this because I roast my own beans at home and he oh. gifted me some amazing beans. But anyway, since you're up that way, but oh. this is not an endorsement. This is just us talking coffee local. <laughs> I didn't know you roast your, so you get green, like raw beans and you roast. Yes. Yeah. But he is an awesome dude and he loves music and the food is, it's a great hang in there, but he, he, they do their own roast there. And then he, one day I was playing, he, I mean, I'm still working my way through just because he's a professional guy. So he gets stuff you can't get. Right. Right. Wow. So anyway, I'm, that is also really interesting to me. Um, and also really close to me. I mean, it's like 10 minutes. I base, I live in Salem, but it's right next to Beverly. See, this is some like, do, we've gone like deep Massachusetts. This is great. Well, it's a, yeah. this, this should be great for everybody. All listeners should be interested in this. Well, I'm very interested because, you know, we just asked the question, obviously, because of the name of the show, right? Sure. And sure. the nature of the hang. However, it seems that there are some that really feel that their coffee process has somehow reflected or mimicked their musical process. Oh, interesting. So it's very interesting as we get into talking about how that's developed for you, you know, as you're like your sound, as you're, you know, what you need, what you want to hear, um, how that, how that um, all works together. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty meticulous process. And in a lot of ways, uh, in not every way, there are ways that I can be very sort of sloppy. But um, in some ways, I'm a very meticulous person. And it's mm -hmm. kind of uh, the coffee thing is definitely like a like somewhat of a reflection of that. And, you know, parts of the way I deal with music uh, reflect that also, I think. I think that's fair. I mean, I, one of the things that I was struck by when you, um, when we more recently connected, um, we, when you were talking about your music is you were talking about taking things that in one way seem simple and making them absolutely beautiful and, and seeing the complexity yeah. and something that's simple. And I think that, you know, there's a lot here, you know, you drink black coffee and it's like, okay, I drink black coffee and I yeah. really, I really make black coffee, you know, yeah. like if, when you're making a melody, you really make the melody. You know? Yeah. I mean, musically I've, I've like, um, that's been my focus really for the last, um, I mean, really since I started playing pedal steel, um, because it's this instrument with this, like, uh, this kind of beautiful voice. And, uh, every time I try to get, you know, and I, and I can do a lot of stuff with it. Um, and I've gotten pretty flexible with it, but every time I try to get like too fancy, it kind of like brings me back to this like thing. It's like, just focus on the, the voice itself. 
like just make that beautiful you know like focus on the the melody the line the like like let's just clear there's like a lot of you know like you can get distracted by trying to do a bunch of extra stuff um and really what you're trying to do is is communicate and that's like what you know and this is sort of goes off from the coffee thing but what you're trying to do is like you know communicate something very clear um and that's really been the way I've thought about it and focused on it. You know, Cheryl and I were just talking about this. Um, what you're bringing up, I think, is it's, I mean, obviously bigger than coffee and also bigger in some ways um, than one musical like practice strategy or conceptual uh-huh. strategy. And it's that we all are falling kind of victim to this idea that it's so easy to be distracted by so many things and what seems um especially in a musical life like what seems really flashy and what and and it's so hard then to actually focus and um and i think like what you seem to have developed working on both your sound and the craft of your playing and something that even translates into like coffee is like a way to actually focus down on the essential elements of those things and and i'm wondering if you could talk about that like how that came about and maybe also um how you do it when you're being pulled in a hundred different directions and you feel a bunch of different pressures yeah. So as to the second question, I was actually thinking about it this morning because I was, I have a lot, this is a very busy, t- I just got back from tour. I'm trying to sort of reintegrate into Berkeley. I, um, I have a gig this week where I'm playing every night. It's like a, I'm in a house band for something and I'm, so I'm playing, you know, six gigs in a row. Um, I have a record coming out on Friday. <laughs> I have like a lot going on and I try to play every day. You know, I try to like actually practice every day or do something akin to practice. And, um, I was, I've been noticing the last few days that like, as soon as I start doing anything, I start thinking that maybe I should be doing something else. (laughs) Like whether it's like something where it's like, Oh, I got email, right. I got to do that. Or if it's like, Oh, maybe I should be working on this. This is a better thing to be where I should be working on this. And like, I, I've like really had to force myself to, to be like, okay, later, just like spend whatever length of time, like some real length of time, even if it's five minutes, but doing this one thing and like put your phone down and put it on do not disturb and put it away from you and really just do this thing and like connect with the feeling of just playing the instrument and making the sound and what it sounds like. Um, and the sort of purity of that. And like, it's tricky because we, I've, I've been struggling with it. I think for, since I started at Berkeley, because like, there's, um, there's so much information and information is obviously like important. We're a school, you know, it's like important and they do have to learn the information. Like they have to learn their scales and they have to learn their stuff, you know, but then like, if you spend too much time in the mindset of like, I have to keep absorbing this, all of this information, like you lose touch with the thing of just like, how does it feel when you just like sit there and play? Like, what does one note sound like? Um, so I don't know, for me, I've developed it 
it's been like a battle. I am not a Zen person in any way. Like I'm a very sort of distracted and kind of nervous person. And so for me, like the developing that in music, that kind of just like the purity of the sound and the approach and stuff has been as a kind of response to my natural impulses, you know, which are like my brain is kind of flying all over the place. And it's basically like, even just this morning at whatever, 6.45 a.m. of sitting here at the steel is like a microcosm of that. I'm just being like, oh, I should do it. And then you're like, no, like stay, <laughs> you know, stay. Like just, and it doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, it doesn't like, I, I think that's also an important thing for me, like working on things, like whatever I'm interested in is fine. Like, obviously I need to prepare for things I have to prepare for, but like in terms of what I want to do in the moment or in the, like, you know, I'm working on whatever. I have always have a couple things I'm doing on the steel and I always have a couple things I'm doing on the guitar and what they are is less, the what is less important than the how for me. Um, and I try to sort of keep it that way and it's hard and I don't always succeed. You know, sometimes I just get distracted and go off in the different directions and it's just, but music is awesome that way because it's like this constant, like it's this reflection of where you're at, you know, in your, in your mind and in your body. And so I think, I think it's good to have that because otherwise, I don't know, I'd just be like drifting around, like not really, not really paying attention to what was going on inside, I think. There are a few things in there that I really love what you said that I think come up a lot for people. And I, I want to go back to each one and, and see what you think. One of them is what you just said um, about this idea that it's so easy at a school to be a collector of information. You know, mm -hmm. you, you just get and then you have this idea of like, I'm just going to sit here and absorb this and I have the notes and I'm going to go back to it later. I'm going to go back to it later. And losing touch with what you can actually demonstrate and mm -hmm. really kind of knowing at any given time, there's like, there's what you're familiar with or you're becoming familiar with, and there's what you can do. And then whatever falls in the gap is what you work on in the practice room and then kind of having a way to work on it so yeah. that then you can demonstrate it so that, you know, um, so many students, for example, will come and say like, okay, my goal is I, I want to have my own sound. And, and then, of course, what a teacher is going to say is, okay, great, well, describe your sound right now. And then they'll say, well, I mean, I'm just work. I don't really know. I, I'm just working on it, you know, and it's because they don't really have a good handle on, okay, this is what I could do. If I had a gig right now, I could do this and I know it would sound great. Yeah. Or I have a good sense that I can pull it off. And then here are the other things that I'm working on. And then that kind of starts to inform your routine alongside like what is required of you for, for a gig or a class or a lesson or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the other part about it that goes hand in hand is what you said about like the five minutes, like there's a lot that floats around. Well, just practice for five minutes, you know, like don't take on too much. The truth is, is you might actually have to practice for 10 hours or six hours or four hours or two hours. But the idea that you sit and that you can focus down for the first set of minutes, I think is really important. And then not to discount things. I think a lot of students will say like, I just don't have time 
to sit and practice like my scales or the fretboard stuff or the mechanics of things. And the truth is you really do, because those are things you can really, really super work on in a, in a short amount of time, but you have to, that is the stuff that you work on. I mean, me, that's like, I never spent, I mean, I'm sure this is different for different people and, and maybe my playing like reflects this in a bad way, but I never spent a ton of time playing that stuff. I always just spent a little bit of time. But I did it a lot, you know, like I never spent like, I can't play scales for hours. I just can't like I, my, my body doesn't do that. I can't, that's not happening. Like it never did. Even when I was at my most diligent and like kind of hungry, I never did that. But I think like doing it every day is something that, like you just kind of like, kind of like get to, a, I think I can get to a really good place with that. And like you develop a familiarity with it and, a, you know, a lot of this stuff for me and, and I hope for my students, I mean, I try to impress this. It's just, you're trying to develop a relationship with, uh, with your sound and with music and like with the music you're interested in and even things like scales, like just a thing that you're seeing every day. So you're like, oh yeah, this one, what is, what I do with this one? Okay. Like, oh yeah, playing this in thirds. How does that feel? Oh yeah, I played this in thirds yesterday. You know, like you have an ongoing dialogue about like, if you work on something all the time, you can have a kind of, you develop some kind of relationship with it and you start to see what, you know, maybe what the shortcomings are, what's like interesting about it or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, I think, I think these are really important things because I think, you know, if every morning you can sit down or every time you sit and practice, you can focus yourself on something technical that's also sonic. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to lead you. Where are you going to go? I think, like, there's these myths of, you know, people will tell these stories about Segovia and he'll say, like, he practiced scales two hours a day. It's in one of his books, you know. Right. But he wasn't just, from what I know from my teachers who were his students, that he wasn't just, like, running scales every day yeah. for two hours. He was like, oh, I'm going to, this time I'm going to work on my shifting, and, and then I'm going to work on my tone, and then I'm going to work on my speed, and then I'm going to work on, you know, my phrasing. And then, you know, it's all these different things. And he was like, how much can I get out of this element that yeah. also, by the way, I've crafted the fingerings because I stole the fingerings from pieces that I play. So so then if I do this, I'm like by default kind of like hitting all these marks of stuff. Yeah, the I need. scale is just a is just a, like a what like a springboard or what I there's a better word, but the scale is just like a um a vehicle for getting to like the stuff that for like to getting to music. And I, I try to impress this on my students. It, sometimes it is impressed and sometimes it is not, but it's like, I, I like, just like the scale isn't, it's like, yes, the scale, like, yeah, we have to learn this stuff. Yeah. You're going to use this stuff, but even the stuff that you may not use, like, this is just a vehicle for you to like work on sounding good and work on playing in time and develop, and again, developing a relationship for what kind of like sound you want, what it feels like when you play guitar, like, what, it, how do you hold the pick? Like, how does the pick hit the strings? Are you playing with your fingers? Like I have a bunch of students who are playing with their fingers, which is cool, but I've just been like, you need to like figure out a system. Like you can't just play with it. You can play with your face. It's totally cool. Like, but like, you can't just kind of randomly do it. 
I mean, you can, but like, you're going to come up against the same problems all the time. And so that's another one of these things where it's like a scale is a great way to do that. I mean, I've worked on the Segovia scales before, not because I don't know my major scales, but because it's like all the shifting and the fingerings and like, and a vehicle to be like, especially because I've gone through phases where I haven't played the guitar very much, where I just played pedal steel. Cause it's kind of like been, it's been a really big focus for me for like a long time. And so often when I'm kind of reconnecting with it, I'm like, okay, I need to get back into playing guitar. Like I'm, I have all this stuff to do, whatever I will, I will get into those, the Segovia scale specifically as a way of just like reconnecting to like, you know, sound and how am I doing this? Am I doing like, am I picking, am I doing alternate picking? Like, how am I holding the pick? How does the pick hitting the strings? What is the, and then doing the thing and seeing what the result is. I mean, you're always kind of like a scientist in a way you're always kind of experimenting with like, Oh, what if I do this? Like, have I changed this? What does that feel like? Oh, interesting. Okay. Am I tensing up when I do this? Yeah. Like you're just kind of constantly in dialogue with what you're doing and scales are a great way to do that. Yeah. I mean, and the other part of it that you mentioned is playing in time. And, um, you know, when Adam Levy was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, um, after being our artist in residence this semester, Mm -hmm. he said this thing that, that I've been doing every day since where in the morning, like, especially the more scattered, right. I feel I take this advice more. I just put the metronome on while I'm making coffee and I'm in my house. Because my brain, this morning, I was telling Cheryl earlier, like my brain was in a thousand directions about to travel. It was, so I just put it on like 50 and then, you know, I'm in the thing. And then when I, and then there's something about it that just pulls you in. So I was telling students that yesterday, like if I put the metronome on, um, as Adam suggested before I sit down with the guitar, then by the time I sit down with the guitar, I don't feel like I need to further distract myself. Like there doesn't have to be another external distraction Yeah. when I'm always feeling unfocused. Like, cause I think like we all do that, right? We're feeling unfocused. So we're going to put on the radio or the TV or the whatever people just do that. I'm just going to move my hands. That's our excuse. But I found that like an antidote to that has been just like that idea of just putting the metronome on and, and then it's like suddenly pulls you in and then you feel all the things that you just said where, wow, like I can feel like I'm rushing just a little bit when I do this or yeah. Yeah know this or whatever you know yeah yeah it's it that's a really good idea um and yeah it's all about so much of it again is about just like making finding a space for yourself to like connect with music and connect with your instrument and time and sound and all just like the basic stuff over and over again yeah so rich um a lot of the people who are pulled to the podcast are, are people who are getting to know Berkeley. Maybe they've had their own recent first day. Um, mm-hmm. and so you had a couple first days fairly recently um, coming for guitar sessions as faculty member, and then like kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool as our newest full-time faculty member. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could uh, share some of your impressions, like what were your first impressions like? Um, huh, okay. Either for uh, it, it could be any first day, it could be like you know, your full time faculty first experiences. Yeah, I think, um, God, I don't know if I have any, I have any good ones here. Um, I, I found, 
um, you know, coming coming into like a day of private lessons and just like looking at a list and just being, it's really, it's like very nerve wracking to like, to just be like, all right, here's a bunch of names and all of these things are going to be filled in with like a person and you're going to have to like, and my, without no real specifics here, but like the, the thing that sort of struck me about like having a lot, my first day is, all is actually today. It's a Tuesday. And I, I, my, so my first day of the semester was this also. And, um, it's just private students. It's, it's, there's no labs, there's no like anything else. And so like you come in and you're just like, you kind of like your job is just to see a bunch of people, like to try to just be like, all right, what are, what are you about? Where are you what is your deal? Like, where are you from? Like, not just like, where are you from? But like, what is your deal? Like, what do you need? What are you missing? What are you good at already? What are you, you know, like, and I found that to be, it's really interesting. And now kind of going on in the semester, I just like, now that I kind of know them, it feels really different than it did. But in the beginning, like you're trying to just kind of see them as quickly as possible. And I don't just mean see, literally see, but kind of see in the way that people talk about in the sort of like therapy world these days of like feeling seen, like just wanting them to make sure that like I kind of see where they're coming from. And, and like, so I found that to be, um, I find that in general to be really challenging like, because I feel a lot of weight and pressure on it. And I want to make, I don't want to just be like, all right, here's the modes. Here you go. You know, and in, in the future, like maybe I need a little more of that actually, but like, I'm really trying to like figure out where they're from and where they're, where they're at. And so that, that's been my, my impression of, of Brickley. And, and it's a lot of, um, I, ha I, I have to confess that I haven't really stopped feeling overwhelmed yet, but I imagine at some point I will stop, um, or feel less or the dial of being overwhelmed will be turned down a bit. Probably. Um, I mean, you guys don't seem just looking at your faces. I'm not, my prospects are probably not great for that, but I, I would like to feel <laughs> that way. I will maybe feel more comfortable with being overwhelmed. But I, I just like, I really, honestly, I want to do a good job and it's, and it's like, it's a lot of time teaching and, and it's hard and it's hard to like come up and just be like, all right, I have a good thing for this student. I have a good thing for this class. I have a good idea. Like, and just kind of keep that going, um, to keep thinking about it. I, I like, I, as I kind of go along and like live in the world of Berkeley, it's like easier for me to come up with those things, but it's, it's taken, taken a bit. Yeah, I, I laugh because and uh, let myself laugh so everyone could hear me laughing because everyone's laughing um, in their quiet Zoom square. Um, because I think that it's uh, it's another reflection of the greater truth, which is we all become more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, you know, with anything you do, we're all we always everybody still gets nervous. Everybody still gets because um, you want to do a good job Yeah. Um, with it. And and that doesn't go away just because you get better at the thing. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's really important for people to know and like, well, that's okay. And that's just kind of what we all deal with. We're all kind of in that boat together, you know. Um, 
One thing that I find really interesting um, is that students are, you know, we have all of our students, not all of them, because there are people who come here from a professional career. So they're a little older, but, but the majority of people are like in their early twenties, you know, uh-huh. like late teens, early twenties. And everyone's kind of looking ahead, you know, like what, what will this experience give me moving forward? Like what, what am I going to take with me and, and what's going to stay consistent? What will change and develop as I get older? And um, you and I met when we were both that age, like we were both, yes. you know, and um and we were playing and um we were hearing each other play and we were teaching and we were working together um and i'm wondering if you have a sense like um of yourself of what are the things that um you're aware of now that stayed pretty consistent in your playing and what are the things that you you know kind of chose to develop or that, that you saw develop in a different way, either in how you sound or how you approach things. Um, can you like kind of reverse engineer it and think back like that a little bit? Oh, so try to think back to being in my like late teens or early twenties and be like, okay, this was there. And yeah. Like when people would say, oh yeah, get rich for that. Or he sounds really good. Or, you know, I remember one of our friends was like, oh, you're capable. Like you could play that. You have this great sound. Um, were there things that you can kind of point to where you're like, oh yeah, you know, I feel like now at this point in my career, I had that, that kind of was a kernel of something I cared about or something I know was a part of the way I sounded or, you know, um, in relationship to that, like the way you approach things, like what you cared about. And now you kind of see how those have stayed consistent or grown or changed. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think as, um, I think what I always did have was a pretty, and and this sounds really kind of obvious, but was a pretty developed like aesthetic sense, just a sense of like what I liked and thought was good. And in, 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 and this is so much as, as I get older, like I realize this is so much of what music is. It's just like making these kind of choices, you know, just like being like, like that, don't like that. Even if you're not even saying this, but like, you know, like down to like a note that comes out of your guitar or like a, you know, the sound of like the groove of the band you're playing with or whatever. Like, I think I always kind of had that. Like I spent so much time listening to music as a kid. Um, you know, I, I'm going to tell like a sort of side story that of the thing I heard recently that I thought was, it just was like, was like, yeah. Um, I, do you guys know who Deanna Tarazi is? Um, she's a basketball player. She played for UConn. Um, she, I think just retired from the WNBA, but she's like one of the, you know, three or four greatest women's basketball players of all time. Um, and she's a great interview because she's just like very funny and kind of sassy and like just cool. And, she talked about, and I heard this interview with her where she talked about like being a kid and like having a hoop in her backyard and the NBA games on TV. And she was like, I would go in the backyard and hoop and then watch the game. And then at halftime, I would go hoop again. And then I would go watch the game. And it really, and then she was like, and if there's a second game on, I would watch that. And then I would hoop at halftime. And what I thought was really interesting is that like, 
she's actually watching games more than she's playing basketball. Like she's absorbing what is happening. And she's like known for having this great sort of basketball brain. And like, I think not that, yeah, I mean, she's one of the greatest in her field of all time. Obviously I'm not talking about that, but I think a thing that I had as a kid was like, I listened to a ton of music and had a really, and knew a lot about it and was always like, I knew everyone who played on the record and all, you know, and like this is, some of this has gone, I've dropped, I haven't, I I don't listen to nearly as much music now, obviously, but like, I think that just that aesthetic sense, um, at least of like the styles that I was interested in, the things that I liked um, was always pretty deep. Like I just kind of knew what worked and what sounded good, even if I couldn't do it. You know, and like, so even if there were things I couldn't do, but like, I knew what it was supposed to be, like, I knew what I wanted it to be like. And so like, things like, as I got older, like I was, I think I was able to kind of assess my weaknesses more clearly than maybe a lot of students can, because I just knew like something wasn't happening. Like I used to really struggle with like, really basic, like rhythm guitar stuff you know, like just really like simple, especially on acoustic guitar. And I just spent so much time doing it and so much time listening to it that I got really good at. Like it became the opposite thing of just this like dumb, simple thing that like I, I developed like a real sense for. And I think that was it. It was like came from listening to music and my brain sort of working on like what I was interested in. I just made a record that's coming out this week. And like, I feel like the whole record is just me. I wrote it in the studio, like, and I feel like the whole record is just me making choices over and over again and being like, yes, no, like that. Don't like that. Okay. Take that away. And it's, it's not even like I came up with all these great ideas. It's like, it would just be little ideas. It was more just that I could select them. (laughs) I knew what like the ones I wanted were. And I, I think with my students, like the ones that, um, I, I find the ones that are kind of farther along in their development have like develop a better sense of like what they think, what sounds good to them. It's not even about like what's good. Like, I don't really, there isn't really, that doesn't really exist. It more is like, you know, if I meet a kid who's like, I mean, I don't have any kids like this now, and maybe there aren't that many in Berkeley, but I've met students before who were kind of into like punk music and like kind of like really edgy guitar stuff and like their aesthetic and their interest I always really respect because it's always very like that is that isn't cool and that's cool and like I like that because it's like they have that's it's not about like what's I don't mean cool like and like but I mean like they know what they like you know and it's like if something's too slick or like, they'll just know and not, and not like it. Um, and, and I think that's like, I think that's great. That's what I try to just develop like preferences, you know, just like a series of preferences over and over again for many years, kind of winnowed down to like what I, what I want to sound like and what I want to do. There's a lot of courage though. There's an element of courageousness in that like maybe more than confidence where you're able, like the confidence comes after where you're just like, yes, no. And if it's yes or no, then you actually have to work on the thing. 
to make it more yes than no. You know, so you're listening like a producer, like you're listening with assessment and not judgment, but then the responsibility is on you yeah. and to like charge of that moment on the front end so that in the studio, you can just execute the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I've found myself in the studio at times being like, I want to hear this thing and just not able to do it like, or whatever it is. Like there's something, whatever kind of feel uh, so often it's like a rhythm guitar thing, like just some kind of feel or like even like another thing I've never been great at is like, is like sort of like real, like rock guitar, like real, like sort of like ripping pentatonic rock guitar is something I don't really do. And like every once in a while, you're making a record and like, it needs some kind of like solo. That's just like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> and cause I know it's that, that I, I know what it's supposed to sound like, like I've heard it many times and I know the vibe and I just don't know how to do it. And it's like, I'm not interested in enough in it to figure it out. And like, but I know what it's supposed to be. And, and I, I think just like, yeah, getting comfortable with who you are and who, and who you're not. And also just like what, and that has a lot to do with what you're interested in. Um, yeah. My partner teaches at Berkeley and she's a Celtic fiddle player. And like, she, uh, like, so I, I hope I'm not sort of saying too much here, but she, she like, I've never met anyone who knows more like what she likes in terms of like her instrument and what she wants to do and what she doesn't not interested in bluegrass, doesn't want to play that way. It's a very specific way of playing. Not in, it's not like, oh, I'll learn on learn this to like be more versatile or whatever. Now, nah. <laughs> like I'm going to do the things that I care about and that I like because I like have developed an aesthetic like relationship to them. Um, and I find that it's really brave and like also is what I think being an artist is. I mean, it's tricky because we're all kind of trying to also as guitar players and like my students, like you're also, you know, you want to be versatile and sometimes you get asked to do things and you have to try to do your best. Um, so it's like, you're kind of riding this line, but, um, for me, I found it's like gone better in my career when I've just like kind of committed to the things that I liked and was interested in and wanted and was good at in a way, or, or like felt like I could be good at. I really like that. And I think like to the students who are here, it's like, there's this way we talk about having a like a leadership mindset in your role as a student, you know, so that you take charge of your own development. Um, but that also means you, you really have to put down the distractions and yeah. listening to music is a deeper thing than scrolling through Instagram and listening to what other people are doing. For yeah. in short verse, it's like it's going deeper and going back from like, oh, this is really great. And then going back into it, going deeper into music history and having a real sense and an ownership of of what you do, which is, you know, what I'm hearing um, you're able to do. You, you listen and then you kind of take charge of it. You're like, OK, I like this. So what does that mean? And what do I have to work on and how can I execute it? Or I like yeah. this, but not going to do it. So then yeah. do I bring someone else in to do it or do I not do it? Or, you know, you're making choices. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of the distractions sometimes um, robs people of, of that sense of ownership where now you've got to be the operator. You have to be the driver, right? Yeah. And as you go from, you know, 
I didn't go to music school, so I had to sort of like just hack this all together. And I think that was also part of it for me. It's just right. like, I sort of like lived in isolation of like having to learn all these things. And so I, I, I didn't, I, but it also took a lot longer. Like my students who are like very good, like who are already pretty advanced, who are mostly the students I have who are in like um, ensemble or like uh, they're like, or in uh, labs are like, are so much better than I was when I was like 20. You know, they're just like, so they know so much more. They're so much more like professional, you know, like I was just like, had no idea. Um, But yeah, I think that thing is still that's thing of like, okay, you can do all this stuff, but like, who are you? Like, what are you, right. what, what are you about? You know, I'm going to kick this over to Cheryl by going back to this idea of, of being a good listener um, and how that affects your playing. Cause I, I think um, I really feel like that's a, what a lot of musicians, regardless of style have in common. Um, if you play in a certain way, which is um, very clear choice making, a very clear relationship to time and tone. And um, Cheryl, back when Rich and I were in our 20s and and um, working at Guitar Workshop, you were the guest. And we would always want to go see you for that very That's reason. Because there are a lot of notes in Jazz Week, just saying. Um, but Cheryl barely cut a clear path through those notes. I, I'm actually going to do a big reveal here. Um Right on the podcast, so this is exciting, exciting radio. Uh, I took a lesson with Cheryl that she probably doesn't remember. I also took a lesson with Tronzo that he didn't remember, so don't feel because it was a really long time ago, and it was probably 1999. <laughs> but, I remember that year with you, Rich. Yeah, I hope, <laughs> go ahead. Wow, I hope that was a good experience. What did we What did we talk about? We played a tune. Um, we played a tune and, um, mostly it was actually great. I still remember what we did. Like, what did we do? (laughs) Let me see if I can get it all together real quick. Um, it's really funny. I know it's so weird and I've been meaning to tell you this and it's weird that I'm picking this moment to tell you, but it just seems like a good time. Okay. Um, okay. Let's go. Let's it go was, down uh, memory lane. Well, you, guys, memory lane. <laughs> you told me a couple things like it, a lot of it was kind of about build, you know, I was really trying to play jazz at that point, which is not really like where I ended up, but you like really straight ahead. And I think we played speak low and you had me like um a couple things like for just learning the tune like playing through the tune with just like playing like just the the melody and the bass notes as a way of learning them as a way of like kind of just understanding how the whole thing worked together which is a great idea also to come up with like just like in terms of vocabulary like come up with a few different like just like in different places good ways to play like these sets of chords like with nice voice leading like because I knew how to do that but I just hadn't like really developed enough of like I just didn't have enough it just would take me too long so I would just have to do like the same things over and over again and so like we did that um you had me play uh play through the tune like Freddie Green style guitar 
just because I think my comping was getting really like kind of distracting and like too complicated. And so you're just kind of like, how about you just go ching, 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 ching. And so we did that. That sounds, that sounds exactly like something I would do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was it's a good true, lesson. It happened. <laughs> What's that? It's true. It happened. <laughs> yeah. It's real. No, I, I promise it's real. And um, it, yeah. And it was because, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, Love Cheryl's playing, and I. Oh, I well, thank you. But so I wanted to. There were a lot of things that I always take little notes from the beginning and try to um, get them maybe dive in a little deeper with things. But you know, back to the practicing thing, thinking about stuff like that. You know, simplifying things. I remember there was a point when I was at Berkeley and I was doing all these things. I was doing all these wide interval things and wacky things. And I really realized, like, I'm not hearing this. I'm just yeah. doing this. And I see that sometimes with just somebody who comes and plays some crazy. And I'm like, well, what do you do with that? Can Do you have a musical application for that? Yes. And I think for me, that's what really helped me um, file down what I work on or spend my time on. Um, and then I, then I would, I would always find that when I would go back to fundamental, simple things that everything built on top of that. So I was actually, I'm actually practicing advanced things by working on simple things is how you apply them. What's the musical application of that, whether that's a triad or just in then your tone or stuff. You like told that. me that's the other thing. Sorry. It's totally related. Um, <laughs> You told me to get the George Van Epps book, the skinny one yes. that has all the triads in it, which was a good idea. And I did do that. And I did work on it, that, um, yes. which is exactly what you're talking about right now. See, this is, yeah. the, this is in the nineties. We we're, yeah, still, we're still talking about it. He doesn't give you an application. Nope. And that's the thing. And I just said, wow, I'm going to work on this as technical thing. And then when it hit, it just hit like, wow, this is how you use it. Yeah. I, I love that stuff. But I want to talk about this thing about listening, too, because this goes into that. And like, th there's that sense of what do you hear inside, which is what you're talking about, what you think is great or what sounds great to you. And I think this also has to sometimes people come to me and say, well, how do you play fast? And I said, well, do you hear fast? Do you hear that stuff? Is it just for the athletic championship trophy of I play fast? Or the reason why I practice those things personally, because I hear a lot of these things and I'm obsessed with executing them cleanly. So that draws me to that practice routine or I'm going to be because I, I want to be able to be fluid but maybe you don't hear those things you know I think that's what we're you're talking about is finding about what is your character and what is your voice it are everyone on this t podcast has a different voice because we're drawn to different things mm -hmm. and, and maybe you do you you go through those things where you're trying to practice everything and then you get to the point and you go well I don't have a musical application for this so let me find those things that really resonate with me so practicing scales up and down scales no but practicing melodic phrases in that alphabet that I'm going to use mm -hmm in music is important. So there's that inner hearing, like what do you really hear inside that tone, that sound? 
but also what you're talking about in terms of just listening and a lot of music and and I back to what Kim and I were talking about earlier this morning is about this state of distraction that we're living in and playing music is single tasking at the deepest level and that yeah. we had that thing in all, growing up where you'd have an album and you'd sit and you'd look at it and you'd listen to it. I mean, an album of vinyl is 20 minutes per side. Yeah. For at least 20 minutes, you would sit down and listen and you'd listen with your friends mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, whatever, or CD era, but you, and you would do that. Like who's on bass and who's on that. And then I want to find what record they're on. Who do they play with? And I feel that talking with our students, Maybe the consumer public is going to be that, but we can't be that. That's a very good point. You know, like we have to go back and be that, you know, I mean, I might've brought some, another podcast, some student came in and said, I heard this lady singing goodbye pork pie hat. Boom. Wait, sit down. Let's have a conversation about you can't listen to music as a musician in that consumer way, pop way. You know, you're a musician, so you have to understand that lady, Joni Mitchell, <laughs> is that song is part of a set of music that was programmed in that time for a vinyl. So, mm-hmm. yeah, understanding the history of that. And also, do you realize that her lyric and vocal is based on the solo from the original Mingus? Mm-hmm. So there's that whole... And it's about Lester Young. Like, there's all of this kind of, like, whole path of this whole thing, who she mentions in the lyric that she... You know, like, the whole thing. Yeah. So just, I don't know, whatever you want to pick up on that, that that sense of inner listening, I think, what you've been talking about with your own sound and how that, you know, makes your practice schedule. I'm going to work on practicing stuff that I hear and I can't do and I want to do, like you were saying, like, you know, how you worked on the rhythm guitar, you couldn't do it. You found yeah. that was a weakness. So I'm going to practice to them, get really good at it. Yeah. And, and also you like that, the story about the basketball player, right? It's like yeah, just yeah. playing, but also that sense of spending time in your day to sit down undistracted and listen. Yeah. Just take it in. Like t- t- taking in the thing that you're interested in as much as you, you know, in an active way, it's hard. We we live in a world that makes it hard to do that. And and so I, I like that you said that, like, the general public may not listen this way, but we have to try to listen this way, you know, and like whatever. And unfortunately, like the, the world puts up barriers to it, like just the natural order of things puts up barriers to it. And it takes a lot of extra attention to do this, but you can, it is doable. Like you can, you can listen this way, you know, you can't do this in your life. You just have to kind of commit to it. Um, and yeah, I would, I want my students to listen this way more and you know they love it's not like they don't love music like they they love it they just kind of like sometimes the way they absorb it is really scattered and it's like this and this and this and it's like all these little pieces and it's just getting them maybe getting bigger pieces so you get a better sense of like what it is that you're interested in Yeah, and I miss those. I mean, we we actually started to do that during the pandemic to have these kind of old school listening parties. That's a really good idea. And it's great, you know, and 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 it was always cool because different guests would come. I had actually Ron Savage came and I had students and everybody got 
turned on to new stuff. Yeah. Really dedicated, like who, whatever one the person brings in, we're going to sit down and give it our full attention and then talk about it. And yeah, I, I, I'm all for bringing more of that back. Yeah. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Cause I want to do, I mean, it's tricky this time in the semester is like, I'm really I'm doing the opposite. We're like, okay, like, come on. All right. Fourth mode of whatever, like, let's go. Got to do it now, you know? And so it's like, you kind of go deep into the, like, just like work, work, work mindset, but it's, it's, um, it's important to pull back and be like, all right, actually we have to like, we have to keep listening. We have to keep open to like, you know, having, not just having the music go out, but having the music come in. Yeah. Because they go hand in hand, right? Like, um, I think one of the great things about listening that way and, and having those listening parties which I think we should bring back Uh um, is that you learn to listen as a professional instead of as a consumer, like Uh you're saying, because I I think that some, you know, we, we had a student um, recently came back from a trip and said, Oh yeah, I was in LA and I, I went to the show and, and the teacher was there, happened to be there too. And said like, Oh, well, you know, who, who played guitar and you know, who'd you talk to? And who'd you, he's like, no, I just bought a ticket and went to the show. It's like, no, 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 that's not your role anymore. Like you're, yeah. you want to do this for a living. So you don't go hang, you just don't go to a show. Like you, you're going as a professional now. So what does that mean? And, and the same is true when you're listening, you you listen as a professional for like, what are people doing and how does it sound? And what do I like? And what am I going to take? You know, it's a different way. Yeah. And and it can be, sometimes it's like too much. And sometimes I have to just go like, sometimes I will listen to occasionally just like, I will listen to music that I'm just never, ever going to play anything like, I mean, I do that pretty often, but like listen to classical music or listen to like sometimes metal, like it's just like, I have no relationship to this as a musician at all. And then you're purely like a fan. But a lot of the time, yeah, I'm listening to stuff that relates to what I do. I mean, okay. <laughs> so kind of sidebar, like another thing that I actually have tried to kind of develop as a listener is to not get, is in a way to not get like too close to the, like, I know people in the sort of, like, Americana songwriter world who only listen to other, like, Americana songwriter music. And I'm like, no, 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 I mean, whatever. They're not my students. They're just people, like, they can do whatever they want. But if I were their teacher, I would be like, no, like, we have to have a little... Also, I want to bring things that are fresh into, into the things that I'm doing um, as a musician. So I think it's really valuable as a listener to listen to things that are like, and also I, I like have played so much like Americana songwriter music that like, I'm okay with never listening to it. Like it's fine. You know? Oh, sorry. I don't know why that goes off like that. Um, but like, and I, you know, it's like my job in a way. So it's like, then I'm listening to something and it feels like I'm doing my, jo- I don't know. I, it's kind of hard to explain, but it, it's, I, I also find it's very valuable to listen to things that are kind of like just outside the world of what you're doing um, in like kind of widening circles because you can get something from, even if you're not directly like, you know, I'm just trying to like, you're not like, I'm going to learn all this, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like, you're not like, I'm going to learn all these like Keith Jarrett voicings and play them on this like pop gate. Like you're probably not going to do that, but like, 
maybe the sound of that or just the like feeling of that or something of the texture of that can broaden your sensibility and make it easier for you to, you to bring fresh ideas to the things that you're doing. I mean, it's always the case that like the people I was most interested in were the people as musicians were the people who had a really wide sense of what music was to them and like what their like the things that they were bringing into it. They weren't just like, I do this and this is what, you know, like the, like, you know, in like acoustic music, like the, the bluegrass people weren't just like, I listen to these four bluegrass guitar players and then I play like that. But the people who are like listening to all kinds of modern music and other interesting stuff. And then they have this much wider sensibility about what their music might be. Um, that's always that's been so wise. Yeah, I think that's wise, Rich, because I think, you know, on one hand, you want, like you were saying before, you want to make decisions and you want to really know what you're going for. But then like the, like, for example, the whole curriculum at Berkeley is set up so that you can take labs in different styles. You can study with different teachers. And when you look at the people who, you know, for there are examples of people who've come through this program, for example, there are people who didn't come through this program who also did that. But when they say like, oh, this person has, you know, revolutionized the sound of roots music, bluegrass, rock and roll, there's influences from other styles. And they might not be super obvious, but they were like, you know, someone's looking for something new and some teacher says like, well, why don't you take a chance and take this lab or try this in your lesson? And the response should be, okay, I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to really go for it. Because if you just say, no, 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 that's not part of what I do, then you will end up only sounding like the same four people who are already out there doing the thing and people are listening to those people. Yeah, totally. And so like pushing yourself, pushing your boundaries and pushing your comfort zone is part of making good choices, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's I've, I have directly done that like to my own like benefit as a musician for a long time like that's totally what i I mean i think that's really like shaped my whole it's like something i every time i do any kind of like anytime anyone asks me like especially in the sort of steel world like i have like a patreon where i talk about steel and like people ask me sort of really general questions like like i try to talk to them always about like about listening and about listening to music that's outside, you know, pedal steel is a super narrow world, you know, like really like the number of compared to the number of records that people have played guitar on the number of records that people have played steel on is very small. And so like, you could almost listen to all those records if you want, and then just be like, just know what every steel player is doing. But really you want to know about music, (laughs) you know, you want to like widen it out as much as you possibly can and just bring this to this other instrument. I don't know. It's kind of, I'm being kind of vague about it, but that's, that's like, I I think it's really important. I think about it all the time. You know, um, I'm going to set you up, Ben. I'm going to set you up for, Ben asks a really great question every time, but the way I'm going to set you up is to go back for a second, you know, that, so Rich, you're in this position at Berkeley that a lot of people want to be in where you've had people you've taken lessons with, um, and now you're their colleague here at Berkeley. And that's also happened to you, like in your musical life on the road, like there are people you kind of learned from or were ahead of you. And now you are working with them and playing yeah. with them. And that's kind of what, what everybody wants 
you know, ultimately you want to kind of, kind of flow into this community. And, um, you already touched on a little bit of, um, of what you remember, um, from lessons with Cheryl now that you two work together here. Do you remember, um, what you learned in that lesson with, uh, David Tronzo that you referenced? Do you remember something from that now that you guys are teaching down the hall from each other? Um, yeah, I do. Um, he, a bunch of stuff, man, it was pretty heavy. It was like, um, he, what did he, I'm trying to, like, there were so many things that I'm, I'm, um, I'm trying to remember what, like a good little piece of it. Um, he was like, um, he, like, he sort of at the time, and who knows if he would say this now, but like, he sort of felt like musicians in a way were kind of separated into people who could just kind of do the thing they do, like kind of on command and people who were very much in the kind of flow of music and like, maybe like we're kind of searching in a different way. And I, 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 I've thought about this a lot. Like I think about like someone like Charlie Parker, like one of the greatest musicians that we've ever seen or heard is like in a way, a person who could kind of do what he did on command. Like, it's just like, whatever the rhythm section is, whatever the situation is, it's just like, turn it on. And it's just like, so powerful. Like that. It just like is there no matter what, like no matter what happens around it, like it's like the center of everything. And then there's, you know, other people whose playing, whose thing is like a lot more vulnerable. And I think he thought I was at the time I was really into jazz and I was like kind of trying to play bebop, but I was, I was like good at like a little narrow slice of it. And I think he thought I was like more of that kind of player. who's was just going to like do this one thing and be great at it. Um, he also, just as far as like what we did, inter- he, he, you know, on the slide, like he basically just broke it down into like a couple little like exercises and they weren't even really exercises. They were like, just like essentially like pick a little small chord progression and just like try to like make music yourself out of it. Like try to like basically like play the melodies, play rhythm, play like, um, play the kind of in-between stuff. You know, he was like, think of yourself as like the entire kind of like Motown rhythm section and just like see what you come up with. It was a very like loose kind of way of working on something. Um, And then he had another exercise that he called the poor man's Bach exercise, which was just like, kind of like trying to voice lead through um, like kind of slowly sort of like with just lines kind of try to voice lead through chords. And again, I think he did it well, if I remember correctly, I I don't want to misstate because it it, it might be wrong, but I think we did it kind of freely, like not like here's a set of chords, but like see if you can just come up with another chord to go to with a line and kind of make it make sense. Uh, which is really cool. Like, that's a cool idea. Like, very simple. There, there were all the exercises were very, very simple. Like, they were just kind of like, but yeah, he was, he was amazing, you know? And then like, and then just to, you know, at the time, like, just to sit with him. And like, that's also half of the thing as like a student is just to sit with somebody great. He was great and he is great. And it's like, sit with him and just 
be around it to absorb the person doing the thing like at that kind of level you're like oh well that's like very serious business you know it's like awesome um so yeah that's 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 kind of what we did so what I love about your story about David and their story about Cheryl uh, is how specific your memories are from 1999, right? Yeah. And I think that's why I asked about the second one, because they're so specific about Cheryl. And then I was kind of curious, like, okay, at the same year in 1999, you took a single whatever. Well, around that 2001. Right. Okay. Um, so like more than 20 years ago is my point with the year, right? Um so you took these two one single lessons and you really absorbed them. Like it sounds like you you took that to heart. You thought about it a lot. You still think about it. You these are things you work on in your playing, um, and they're like they're answers that you got as a student that you've kind of carried forward. So I think one point I would like to make to the students is sometimes when you come to school. You take, it's easy to take for granted because you quote unquote are required to go to class. It's easy to take for granted that experience of like sitting with your teacher who's really a master. I mean, there's no one, you know, who teaches here who's not a master, right? And the, and yet you just kind of get, oh yeah, that that guy's down the hall over there, you know. Yeah. So like really kind of understand that that's what's happening and and that you're invited in to really yeah. listen and yeah. absorb. And that these are things like you, you, you're not just collecting them in a notebook and then, you know, next semester, what did you learn in that class? Well, I don't remember. And that like the person who you want to be, you want to follow in the footsteps of like, of Rich, Rich's can tell you what he worked on in his lesson in 2001. Right. So, and it's 2020. I can. Yeah. Yeah. He can do it and he can still do it. Like he's air guitaring it. If you're listening on the on the audio, he's actually air guitaring all the exercises. So I, I kind of do. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like the, you know, even Cheryl talking about like something like playing the melody and playing the bass. I mean, that's very simple. These are all like the reason I remember them also. And I think this is important is that they're all very simple. Like these are simple concepts. Like these are not complicated, like, oh, and then you substitute this note and this, this. Like, it's, I mean, there are those things and you can work on those things, but really they're just so basic. Like, of just like, these are ways to work on music, to absorb it deeper, you know, to get like, and so that I think is, is, is very powerful. I've, you know, I've, uh, uh, Adam Levy is a person now, like I just play, I play in a band with, and he's like my good friend. And we talk like most days, honestly, but like, I still like, I've taken lots of lessons with him over the years and, I always have, so, I mean, I've there's so many things that he's talked about with me that I still like think about or like, then I've, that I've had students do, you know, like even again, really simple stuff. Like a couple of years ago, it was one of these times when I was like, again, struggling with my guitar playing, kind of getting farther away from playing guitar and just like being like needing to reconnect. And we like played some tune, you know, in a lesson format. And like, um, he had me, uh, try to play everything in one position just to like keep myself from being like, oh, I'm here and I'm here. It's just like too distracted, you know? And like, this is a lesson for somebody who knows all their notes and all their, you know, whatever. I was 38 or something. I wasn't like 20, but like, it was really, I've done that with my students recently. Like, okay, like you're here and then you're here and then you're here, you know, and you're just like kind of in too many different places. Like, let's just stay here for a minute and see what we can get out of these few notes in this position. So 
anyway, like I, I get stuff from, if I get something, sometimes I've taken lessons where I don't remember anything, but like, if I get something that is valuable, I'll usually, it'll usually stay with me. Nice. Um, okay, Ben, that, I think this is a perfect segue for you to ask the question. What do you got, Ben? Okay. So what is the question that you think Berkeley students should be asking while they're here that they're not thinking of asking Ooh. on their own? Um, okay. Really good question. Um, Do I have an answer to that? Do I have a good answer to this? It's a really good question. What should they be asking? I mean, it depends on the student, of course, but I think I think really what everyone should be asking, what I ask myself like most days is like, okay, what do I what do I like kind of need as a musician? Like what do I need? Like do I need, you know, like when I was talking about about like acoustic rhythm guitar playing like, I just kind of hit this wall where I was like, okay, I need to work on this. Like, this needs to be better. Um, and, like, I think in the beginning, I think I was kind of more, even, like, a couple months ago when I was, like, kind of encountering all these students, I was kind of trying to be like, okay, what are you interested in, which I think is really important. And, like, that's maybe the second question. But then there's, like, there is a kind of, like, aspect of it. It's like, what do you what do you actually need? You know, like what is the distance between like what you want to do and what you're, what you're capable of. Um, and like a lot of the, the first year students just need like some sort of, they know things, but they're all kind of like scattered in different places and they need some kind of like grounding, you know, like in terms of like basic information and basic stuff about basic technique stuff. And like, you know, like just they've, a lot of them have just like had one teacher, but never really worked in this stuff. So I, I think, I think the question is like, for me is to be able to honestly kind of like, look at yourself and be like, what do I need? What, do, what as a musician, like, what do I need? Right. And then that might change as the years go along, like, and even as the semester goes along, but like, yeah, like, even if you don't really want to work on like comping or whatever, you might need to do that. Like, and, and even if you don't want to work on time, you might need to do that. Or even if you don't like want to learn your major scales, you kind of need to do that. You know, there's, there's, I, 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 I've been consistently just trying to find this balance between like, you know, it's a school music is a thing that we can study like a science or whatever, but also it's an art. And so I want to give people space to, like think about it at, in both ways but i i think the what do you need is like the sort of professional side of that of the like more like the science side like all right we need some like there's some fundamental things that we just kind of need to be able to do to like exist in the world as a musician to play with other people um to maybe be a professional to like do you know all of those things like you're just going to need those things that, that's 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 my answer i think So, um, Cheryl, what's on your mind as we're coming to the end of our coffee today? 
This was a great discussion. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that you shared uh, for us to all think about. You know, we have so many fans of this podcast that are students, alum, and just guitar people, but musicians and artists in different ways and different fields. So I think we hit on a lot of universal truths that, so thanks for sharing that. And, and also jogging my memory. (laughs) Cheryl, can I ask you another question? I'm just going to take like a one minute lesson with Cheryl right now. Can we just do this? Um, Cheryl, are you a heavy pick person? Uh, no, I, I, no, I use like a, a, it would be the equivalent of a fender medium because I want it to be like a nail, like Kim's nails, like a classical guitar nail, the plectrum. So interesting. Okay. So like, but not a fender medium, but like that thickness, like a 73 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I've pick journey recently. I've used, I have so many, like, it's like really, it's almost embarrassing. I just could just empty this thing out. And it's just like all of these, like, just like this Christmas color explosion would happen. Like, you know, that's funny you say that, Cheryl, because I think the ping pong balls that I use are the thickness of a fender medium. Yeah, that well, that's the for me, the, that's the principle in tone production is that. Yeah. Yeah, because I use the Japanese ping pong balls to make my fake nails for my right hand and they are thicker. It's a thicker, less porous plastic which I think gives it that glossy kind of fat sound, which is very similar when we were talking about tone to what you get. So that makes sense. That's very interesting. I always just, I I like, you know, this is why I try to keep learning stuff because I'm like in my forties and until recently, like really just assumed that every, every person who plays like lines on like either a semi hollow or hollow body, you know, like in a kind of like, um, in the mold of someone like the, the, of someone like George Benson, like, like that whole world of people that everybody just used heavy picks. I don't know why I thought that it's not true. I've discovered George Benson himself uses like a medium, like Pat Metheny uses like a 45 or something completely insane, which like, I don't even understand how that's possible, but like, you know, in the bluegrass world, people use really heavy picks, like almost like it's like a rock and it's like, I find it really hard. It, it, it does get like a really kind of certain kind of sound, but it's like so giant that it's kind of like too much. So I've been like going back and forth on, on, and just thinking a lot more about picks. So I was interested in you as a, as a person with like really like pretty blazing technique as to what your, what your like exact thing is. But again, it comes back to the thing. What do you hear inside? Yeah. And then, you know, the setup of your instrument, the length, scale length and stuff so that it feels good and then can produce that sound that you really hear. Yeah. And then also just technical stuff of being able to like get around and the relationship between the strings. I recently like changed to much lighter strings on my electric guitar. So then it's like kind of the relationship with the pick changes, which doesn't necessarily mean the pick needs to be lighter. Sometimes it even feels like it means the pick needs to be heavier. I'm, I'm anyway, sorry, this is not, we're not doing pick talk here. I'm just doing like, realize this is, this is a whole other thing, but I, I, well, that's the spinoff. That's going to be the yeah, spinoff. It's just pick a pick exploration. There's so much to learn guys. It just goes on forever. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Uh, but Ben, what about you? What's on your mind? Um, uh, I, I think this is 
an awesome episode. Uh, you know, a lot of in-depth stuff just, you know, from, from our, our pick conversation at the end to, to, to everything. I think there's a lot of great information, especially getting into, uh, you know, well, by the time this is going to be uh, out, I imagine going to be close to final exam. So I think there's a lot of great, great uh, inspiration here to, to help get everyone through that week. <laughs> ben, what, what pick do you use? Yeah. I have a one millimeter Tortex Jim Dunlop, just kind of oh, yeah. standard, nothing, nothing fancy. But wait, the, is that the blue one? Uh, actually, I have, hang on, let me pull it out. I actually, I, I work with Jim Dunlop now and they, they make, I don't know if you can see it. Oh, it's blurred. I can, yeah. Blurred yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They make, it has my band logo on them for me. Oh, it's, look at it's, that. It's one, one millimeter one. And, Cause I know like a lot of people get into the, the smaller, you know, like a lot of the, the metal players oh. get smaller ones. And I, and I just, I, I just like just that old school kind of tried and true. <laughs> I, like I love it. that. Okay, so we're going to continue pick talk, everyone. Um, I'm sorry that you all can't join us for what will could go on all day. Clearly, especially if there's yeah ripping yeah more yeah. Um, But uh, thank you so much, Rich, for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And thank you, Cheryl Bailey. And thank you, Ben Cody. And um, thanks, everybody, for for listening. And um, we're going to be with you again on the next Coffee Talk.